It's now time for the Billy C Show. Part of the BillyCBoxing.com network. And we're coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calagero, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening, whenever you're listening, whenever you're watching. I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on beautiful St. Simons Island in Georgia. Check out the website www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com or give my man a call 912-268-2328 that's 912-268-2328 find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's for an authentic Italian meal today's show is also uh, being brought to us in part by our new 24 hour 7 day a week television channel network whatever you want to call it Billy C. Boxing uh, check it out. All the information can be found at Ginico USA. That's G-I-N-I-K-O-U-S-A dot com. Uh, we're available on all the streaming platforms. So uh, check it out. It's for free. And not only do you get to see replays of this show, but all of the shows we've been doing over the last 15 years. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by my book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Bettest Men on the Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this very show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Or if you're looking to get a signed copy, just visit our website or drop me an email, Billy at Talking. Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. Um, coming up a little bit later on the show, we got uh, Dax Khan scheduled to join us, as well as Alex Papali. I see he's uh, up and about, so uh, we'll uh, chat with him. Um, Want to talk about several things, uh, fights from uh, uh, last night, uh, also some uh, heavyweight news, uh, including my thoughts on... Uh, the possibility, strong possibility, that the fight that we all want to see in the sport of boxing, uh, which would be uh, the two top heavyweights in the world collide, at least the two top heavyweights, in, uh, in my opinion, uh, and that would, of course, be the number one heavyweight, uh, Anthony Joshua, uh, taking on, in my opinion, the number two heavyweight in the world, uh, Deontay Wilder. Now, you could slip Tyson Fury in there at number two as well, uh, or have, uh, you know, the rematch between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. But the top three uh, heavyweights, uh, I'm specifically uh, talking about the fight that we all want to see, which is uh, Anthony Joshua against Deontay Wilder. I don't think it's ever going to happen, or there's a good chance it may never happen uh, for quite some time. But uh, first, uh, let's talk a little about uh, the fights from last night. Uh, Oleksandr uh, Vodzik. Uh, kept his uh, title uh, by stopping his uh, opponent, uh, Daudu uh, Nagumbu, uh, and the, uh, it was officially announced as the 58 seconds of the fifth round. Um, it was kind of weird uh, what was happening in this fight. Uh, Vodzik, uh, who was trained uh, by Teddy Atlas, um, seemingly was in control of the fight. It wasn't one of his 
uh, best performances. He was looking uh, kind of uh, uh, out of his comfort zone while he was fighting uh, Nagumbu, who um, was fighting in a very unorthodox style. And then all of a sudden, Nagumbu uh, grabbed his calf. It seemed to me like it was almost like a... Um, you know what what happened when you're dehydrated and you get a uh you know the pain in, in your calf uh or you know other parts when you're dehydrated it seemed like that uh and then he couldn't continue and the pennsylvania athletic commission seemed kind of uh not knowing what to do they were ready to give him five minutes to to patch him up it reminded me of the fight where they were given uh, physical therapy in in the uh in the ring in russia uh, to allow a fighter to continue. But finally, somebody rip, whipped out the rule book and said, hey, he can't continue uh, for whatever reason, a, a non-contact uh, injury. He can't continue. TKO win for Vodzik. Joining me right now to get his thoughts on uh, such a strange t uh, stoppage uh, is my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. Good morning, Sal. Good morning, Billy C. How's everything in Lake George? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, um, it, I got a weird... Uh, I don't have you on my camera shot, so I'm going to try and fix that for a second. I see you on one, but not the other. But uh, uh, in any event, um, I'm doing okay, my man. I'm, I'm, doing, uh, I'm doing okay. What's your thoughts on uh, when a fight uh, has to be stopped from a non-contact? In other words, a fighter injures themselves by themselves uh, appear apparently and then the fight has to be stopped uh what's your thoughts on that as a fighter and, and number two don't you think the commission should have gotten that right like out of the gate that's why there's multiple referees multiple i mean multiple judges multiple things there somebody should have known the laws rules and, and guidelines of what should be Maybe they could have given him five minutes to stretch it out, massage it. I don't know. But uh, bottom line is it's boxing. Three minutes you fight, one minute you rest in between. Yeah, but why would they? You know, that's what they, they started to do. They, uh, the referee in charge, uh, uh, you know, signaled to the timekeeper he's got five minutes, and everybody's kind of looking around. Um, the referee is actually a good one. His name is Eric uh, Dolly, who, who's a... Uh, a decent referee. He he generally uh, uh, takes control in, in there. Uh, I've liked what I've seen in the past, but I was unaware of the rule, and neither were the commission uh, people. And they were letting it happen, and finally they waved it off. I mean, I, I think that that's ridiculous. It is ridiculous, Bill. And you know, we come so far just to take take steps backwards. And those are things that should have been, like I said, you got three judges ringside. Somebody should have known. They can concur with one another, but it shouldn't have been drawn out or like an indecision moment. It's really, hey, this is what happened. He can't continue. So it's either it's either no contest or a TKO. Well, it should by rule it should be a TKO. Whether he had cramps uh, in his ankle due to well, I you know I'm I keep saying dehydration, and the only reason why I say dehydration is when you dehydrate, a lot of times you'll get those cramps and stuff. Yeah. But yeah. but but generally, it'll go away. And the amount of time that they gave him, it just seemed like a strange injury. Um, I, what was even more strange is about uh, me about to make fun of somebody's pronunciation. Everybody knows 
if you've watched this show at, at even any time um, over the last 15 years, then I've murdered many a name, okay? Uh, you know, uh, uh, the English language ain't so, cu- ain't so cute to me, if you know what I mean. Uh, but, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is every time, the way you pronounce his last name is Nagumbu. Okay, and every time Dre, you know Dre Ward, the former uh, uh, world champion, you know Dre. Uh, every time he mentioned uh, Nagumbu's name, he kept referring to him as Nagumbo. And I'm saying to myself, what's he thinking about? Uh, you know, New Orleans? Is he thinking of some gumbo soup or what? But uh, it was—I thought it was kind of uh, uh, humorous. But that's that's me. But uh, in any event, some other fights, real quick. We'll. Uh, I'll get to right now. I will talk to uh, uh, Dax and, and Alex about him as well. But in the heavyweight division, David Price, uh, he won a strange uh, via a strange way as well. He fought uh, previously unbeaten Kasha Lee, uh, who was uh, fifteen and zero with seven knockouts going into the fight. And I was shocked to see that David Price was actually the the favorite in this fight. Uh, David Price uh, has never really lived up to his expectations as a pro. But uh, he picked up his 24th win by way of disqualification. It happened during the fifth round. Um, David Price did land a, a solid shot, which appeared to rock Cash Ali. Cash Ali grabbed him and tackled him. And as the referee was trying to help him up, he wouldn't let go. It was like he was holding on to him. Then when you see that, he's, he's biting him right on the side of his, his chest above his rib cage. And uh, the referee saw it and immediately disqualified Cash Ali for biting his opponent. And if you look online, Sal, you can actually see the, the teeth marks through the, uh, uh, through the mouthpiece on his st- right, you know, above his rib cage area. Uh, on David Price, what's your thoughts about that? Well, that's just that's just blatant, and that's that's inexcusable. You don't do that. That that you can't. <laughs> uh, no, you can't. And uh, Mike Tyson, uh, uh, we all remember his uh, nibbling on uh, Evander's ear. This wasn't quite as bad, but you're not allowed to bite uh, your opponent. David Price gets the W, and uh, that bite. Uh, probably cost Cash Ali uh, um, more than just the purse that they're withholding right now. Uh, you know, it's gonna it's gonna haunt them. Also on that card, Liam Smith improved to 27 wins, two losses, and a draw when he uh, smacked the snot out of Sam Eggington uh, until uh, uh, he couldn't uh, uh, continue anymore. The referee uh, waved the action off at two minutes into the fifth Three, round. Two, two um, and uh, Eggington drops to 24 wins, five losses, uh, with 15 of his wins coming by knockout. Uh, also, some other fights. Uh, Angel Acosta improved to 20 and 0. Uh, I'm sorry, 20 wins and one loss with 20 of his wins coming by knockout when he knocked out uh, former uh, WBC champ Gannigan Lopez uh, in uh, uh, the eighth round. Uh, one minute and 55 seconds. Lopez drops to uh, 35 and 9 with 19 of his wins uh, coming by knockout. And uh, a guy who uh, has been in discussion for a possible world title shot, and uh, even uh, according to uh, Floyd Mayweather, uh, regardless of uh, going through the proper channels, against Javante Davis, uh, Kingry Garcia um, uh, improved to 18 and 0. Uh, when he scored a second-round stoppage over Jose Lopez, 
who drops to 20 and four with a draw. Um, you know, uh, Garcia uh, really had Lopez in trouble uh, at the uh, end of the second round, and uh, uh, Lopez could not get off his stool uh, to begin the third. Uh, so they gave uh, Garcia the second round stoppage, rightfully so. And then in a really strange fight uh, that I watched that I thought was uh, kind of a travesty, um, it, the, the, for, there's two travesties here. First, this poor kid's name, uh, because, you know, his name is Ray Robinson, and they bill him as the new Ray Robinson, and he's nothing like any Ray Robinson you've ever seen. But uh, nonetheless, he's a, uh, had a, uh, it's a, it's a sad but uh, nice story of, of pulling himself uh, up from a mis, uh, you know, unfortunate situation, childhood, whatever. Uh, Philly fighter Ray Robinson, he improved to uh, 24 wins, three losses, and a draw. Now, I say improved uh, because I feel he won this fight. A top contender in uh, Ejaius uh, uh was supposed to win this fight. And he was supposed to earn uh, a shot uh, at Terrence Crawford, uh, who's fighting in a couple of weeks of, uh, against uh, Amir Khan. Uh, but Kavalaskis, um, uh, with the draw, who knows what's going to happen? It, it, he fought like he was. He, he couldn't. He couldn't figure out a southpaw that was boxing him in in the new Ray Robinson. And um, well, the way the judges scored it. Uh, one scored, uh, I'm sorry, two of the judges scored the fight 95-95, which, um, you know, gave it the majority draw. I, I, I don't know how you could how you could give that many rounds to, to Kavalaskis because he just did not, I didn't think he threw and land enough punches. I, you know, he didn't, didn't work the body. I mean, Timothy Bradley was, was saying uh, most of the night he should be working the body, and, and he should have been. Uh, the third judge had it 97-93 for Robinson. I kind of, I kind of think that was a more realistic score. So what this means if they're going to have a rematch, I, I don't really know. Uh, but uh, that wraps up uh, the fights uh, from uh, uh, from last night, uh, the bigger fights. Anyway, um, I, I want to mention, I want to talk a little more about the heavyweight division. Um, now, one of the uh, the big news. In in the um, heavyweight division, of course, was uh, Deontay Wilder uh, turning down a hundred million dollar deal uh, to sign a three fight deal with uh, DAZN Network, and it would have um, it would have given him his mandatory against Brazil uh, plus two guaranteed fights with uh, with Anthony Joshua, where he would have received. A guaranteed minimum of forty million each uh, for the two fights with uh, uh, with Anthony Joshua, and then the uh, first fight with Brazil, twenty million. Uh, it was also reported by ESPN that uh, he got another uh, deal that I didn't hear about, worth one hundred and twenty million. It didn't matter; it could have been five hundred million. Deontay Wilder turned it down to stick with Showtime, and then another interesting. Uh, thing in the heavyweight division, uh, Alexander Usyk, who's pretty much uh, controlling the WBA as a cruiserweight, decides to relinquish his WBA belt, and now he has announced that he will uh, be competing in the heavyweight division. 
He was supposed to fight a unification fight with Denis Ledebev. Uh, now, that fight is off, of course. Um, Yusik is planning on fighting uh, Carlos Takam. That hasn't been officially announced yet, but it looks like that. My question here for my man Sal uh, is, uh, is simply this. Yusik, even though he's a great uh, cruiserweight, moving up to heavyweight, and people think he's got a chance, Sal, because of his boxing ability. Um, the heavyweights of today are much bigger. This isn't like back in the Rocky Marciano days when light heavyweights and heavyweights were going back and forth. But today's model heavyweight, it's 230, 240 pounds. This is a cruiserweight that's uh, the most he's ever weighed in a fight uh, was 206, and that was uh, early in his career. What's your thoughts of him moving up to the heavyweight division? I think he's going to get killed. Well, interesting. I mean, interesting. I mean, he can have speed. He can have agility. He can have great boxing skill. But, I mean, that's why they have different weight classes. And you're so right. Bob Foster was a classic example. You know, great light heavyweight. Move up to the heavyweight division. Forget about it. This well, guy, I don't know. Well, I mean, I look at it this way. Um, you know, he's uh, he's a boxer. And a lot of these heavyweights today haven't really, you know, on their way up, they haven't really fought, um, you know, top, top fighters. And, you know, we, we, we look at a lot of these fighters and we wonder how good they really are. Usyk, we all know, is a quality fighter. But I look at the statistics, Sal. And although you look at his record, he's 16-0 and with 12 knockouts, with a 75% knockout ratio. Of those 16 fights, only five he fought at 200 pounds or more, which is actually heavyweight. And four of those five was, was his first four fights. Uh, and then his last fight at uh, 201 half pounds was uh, back in, um, uh, he fought in 2015 against Pedro Julio Rodriguez and won a uh, seventh round stoppage. Um, he is six foot three and he is a southpaw. But my question to you, Sal, is this. Luis Ortiz, he's six foot four. He too is a southpaw. But this guy comes in at 240 pounds. We saw that he stood his own with a Deontay Wilder. Could a guy that's an inch shorter, and assuming that he puts on 20 pounds, let's say he comes in at 220 or even 225, does he stand a chance? Even though Wilder's a, a 220-pounder, does a guy like Usyk stand a chance with his boxing ability? I mean, anybody stands a chance any given night. But are the odds going to be against him? Probably so. Maybe stacked pretty high. I don't know. Anything's possible. Styles make fights. You know that. And uh, it may be a great fight. You may have unique styles contrasting. But in the end, you know, that equalizer usually usually pulls him out well i look at it this way the boxing ability of Usyk uh could give uh uh fighters all kinds of trouble i mean until michael spinks stepped in the ring with mike tyson he too was beating uh bigger guys uh so uh so i i give Usyk a shot the only thing i'm not too happy about is that Usyk even though he was a, a world title holder, he was able to give up his belt 
and then fight one fight and immediately become the mandatory uh, to fight for the world heavyweight title. That I find, I, I don't like the way they, they do that today. You know, you got a guy no, that relinquishes. I don't like the way they shuffle that deck. Well, they, he relinquishes his belt and he wants to compete at the heavyweight division. I give him credit for that. But why, why shouldn't he be forced to fight a couple of fights at least and, and, and by the way, take on a, a top heavyweight. Uh, and Right. And then, I mean, listen, Carlos, uh, Carlos Takam is no slouch. But no. to get a fast track, again, that's not fair to the guys that are working their way up the ladder, Sal. Yeah. And that's, that's been the history of boxing. You know the right people. You pay the right fees and money. You're going to get to the top of the ladder faster than people that have worked so hard and have tried to do it the right way. So, I mean, it's the politics of the game, unfortunately, for some, and beneficial for others. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I look at it and I say to myself, you know, I, I, I would, you see what I thought, and maybe I'm being selfish for the sport of boxing, but I thought that it was advantageous for a guy with the talent ability of Usyk um, to to try to help bring more um, interest in the cruiserweight division. Now I get it; he's thirty two years old. He's probably thinking, "Well, you know, I'm thirty two years old. You know, how much money can I make in the cruiserweight division?" He goes and fights one of the top three uh, dogs in the heavyweight division, uh, AJ Deontay or or Tyson Fury, and you know he can make a a, a cash out purse. I mean. I, that's got to be the the main reason in his mind. Uh, I mean, of course, should he win a title, it would put him in the history books, but uh, it's got to be about the money. What do you think? I think that, and, you know, you're talking about a millennial fighter, and it's all about me. It's all about this. This is what I want. This is how I get it, and this is what I'm going to do. It has nothing to do with tradition, history, or anything else. It's what's the best thing for me, and how fast can I get it? Well... You see, I don't know. I look at him as more. I I I don't blame him from the business side. I no, I, I I can't, you know, because it's 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 a it's a uh, uh, a negative truth about the sport that the heavyweight division brings more money for the fighter uh, than than the cruiserweight division. Um, I you know I just wonder. Uh, I, you know, to tell you the truth, yeah, he'll make the money, Sal. But I'll tell you what. He beats one of those top three guys, and he's going to be regarded as as uh, one of the great fighters of all time because he because he did it because the odds are against him. So in a way, you got to respect him for challenging himself. And that I do. I challenge. I respect every fighter that challenges himself, and that's what we don't see enough of, unfortunately, on so many levels. And so right, that's why Mikey Garcia, I respect on that level. All these fighters that 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 try to do a history blanketing kind of thing. You got to respect, you got to see where they're coming from, what they want to do in the history books, how they want the sport to remember them, not just their family and friends. Well, I'm not going to knock Usyk for taking on Carlos Takam. Takam gave uh, AJ some trouble. Uh, So, uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I I uh, I wish him the best. I, I my my only hang up is that he gets a uh, a fast track to a world title. Um, 
That's just the way it is, I guess, now with the uh, sanctioning bodies. I, I just, you know, no disrespect to Usyk, but I feel that, uh, you know, by him getting a fast track, it's 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 preventing a, another fighter that had possibly worked hard uh, to uh, to not get a shot. But uh, in yes, any event, in any event, listen, we're going to take a short break. Sal's going to uh, uh, take a break as well. And when we come back, we're scheduled to have uh, Dax Khan join us. So uh, don't go anyways. Billy will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. Don't forget about catching us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, right on our Billy C. Boxing channel. Ginico USA has all the information. Check it out. Ginico, G-I-N-I-K-O, USA.com. Joining us right now, my, my man. No, no, let me rephrase that. The man, the myth. The legend himself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, he paid me some extra money to say that. Dax Khan joins us. What's up, Dax? Hey, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, what'd you think of Vodzarek? Of, of what? Vodzik. <laughs> of Vodzik? I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 was, I had gumbo on my mind, but uh, um, what, what did you think of uh, Vodzik's uh, uh, performance last night? He looked terrible last night. Um even before the injury, he, um, and Gumbel was able to, you know, land on him. The, um, the unorthodox style seemed to give him some problems, but, you know, it was his first defense of his title. We have to expect that these guys are going to, you know, get a soft opponent, you know, that's common in boxing. And um, let's just hope it doesn't become a habit. We waited a long time for the belt to leave Adonis Stevenson because this is exactly what took place during his reign you know um you know i'm not going to judge uh too harshly on him and we'll see what happens the next time though uh andre ward and timothy bradley did bring up some points afterwards um you know especially andre ward when he said if i was the one responsible for doing that to somebody i would never fight again so who knows what was really playing on his mind with the Adonis Stevenson situation, even though he did say a few times that Stevenson is back to 80%, so it's not weighing on my mind. Then again, you know, it has to weigh on your mind a little bit, and knowing that this is a guy not quite as talented as Stevenson, or not as big as Stevenson, or not as hard of a hitter as Stevenson, you know, maybe it made him a little bit hesitant. So we're going to have to uh, reserve any harsh judgment for the future. Um, you know, I, I, that's, I, I've never been faced with that, thank God. Um, and I know uh, very few fighters really have, but there have been enough that you could talk about, especially uh, guys like Boom Boom Mancini. But, you know, both fighters enter the ring with the same risk, Dax. And, you know, I guess, I, I don't know. You know, I, I honestly, I know that they said that being both former fighters, both world champions, um, that, you know, they, they made that comment. But I, I don't know. Do you, do you think, 
do you think really that that happens? I mean, do you think that that was the reason or, or if it was just more the unorthodox style and the gumbu that that was throwing him off? I mean, he is a power puncher. He does like to, to sit down on his punches and he wasn't able to. It could be. You know, it could be a combination of both. I don't know. It's only speculation. Nobody knows what's going through Vazic's mind except for Vazic. But you do know that I'm good friends with Gabe Ruelas, who also worked with us with the WBF. And I did a series of stories on Gabe. And even after his fight with Jimmy Garcia, when Jimmy Garcia passed away, you know, still to this day, every year... At the time of that fight, that haunts Gabe Ruelas. And Gabe has been retired a long time. He went on, you know, he defended world titles after that. Uh, he, he was in bigger fights after the Jimmy Garcia uh, bout. And, yes, of course, you walk in and you both have the same amount of risk. But, you know, knowing that risk and when that risk actually happens are two different things. So we don't know. Again, we'd have to wait until the future to see what happens with Bozic, with another opponent, uh, would step up out, you know, to uh, to judge. Right now, can't really, um, you know, I'm going to reserve the judgment exactly what's going on there. But if he should happen to perform like this in the future, there is no way that I could, you know, say that he's as good as Bidabiev or Bivol or even Kovalev maybe. Um, let me ask you this. Did you? I haven't heard anything about that injury. Did you hear any follow-up about the injury that Nagumbu um, uh, incurred? Um, then the scuttlebutt is that he had an injury already. Oh. Uh, and that, you know, it just kind of agitated in the fight. You know, it was an old nagging injury that they hoped wasn't going to um, affect him. You know, it's a world title fight. The guy's 38 years old. He hasn't had, you know, exactly the highest uh, profile stellar career despite, you know, having you know quite a few more fights in Bozic so um, from what I understand that's what it was and things just happened not to go right for him you know it was unfortunate but you know it happens again it's boxing a couple other uh, fights I want to get your quick thoughts on David Price gets himself back in the mix when uh, Cash Ali bites him to get disqualified what was up with that did you see it yeah I did you know and not only did um, and Ali was having his best round of the, of the fight, but not only did, you know, when they went down and his face, you see his face go into Price's stomach, and as he gets up, then he puts his face back down I to know. purposely bite him, you know, it's not like if his head just went down, you know, he tried to, you know, do the bite there and get away with it, but he was just so blatant about it, so. And, and he and, held on, remember the referee was trying to help pull him up, and he was yeah, like holding right. on, he was like holding on to Dave Price to make sure he got a full bite in. I, it was weird. It was really strange, man. And but, did you? And I seen the um the actual uh, photos of, of the actual bite mark itself. I mean that that it was brutal. Oh, you know, you see clearly, clearly the outline of the teeth in that. Clearly the outline. No, you saw the outline. You saw the outline of the mouthpiece with the teeth through it. That's how hard, you know what I mean? So you saw that the teeth bite marks were behind the mouthpiece. So, And that's hard, man. That's hard. But uh, another fight I wanted to ask you about was uh, Kingry Garcia. Ryan Garcia improved to 18-0, and beating Jose uh, Lopez. Um, not so much that fight, but there was a lot of talk uh, at least through Floyd Mayweather, that he was trying to set up Garcia to fight Javante Davis. I like Javante Davis. I think he's a talented fighter. I know he's uh, heading down possibly the, the wrong path. But with all due respect, is Garcia ready for him? No. You know, um, 
I spoke to somebody the other day. Actually, I sent stuff out on social media the other day. I don't know what's going on over at Golden Boy. I don't know if Oscar De La Hoya, In fact, I alluded that Oscar De La Hoya has got to be back on drugs. Um, after his comment that, you know, Canelo would beat Kovalev. He would beat um, Smith, you know, um, you know the undisputed uh, super middleweight champion. And then he says, if Andre Ward wants to come back and call out Canelo, Canelo will beat him too. Yeah. And then you got them, you know, Ryan Garcia, he's a decent fighter. He's certainly a hot prospect. He's got a large fan base. But I think, you know, they're hurting him more than they're helping him. They seem to be blowing his head up, you know, making him think that he's at a level that he's not yet. And Canelo last night, I believe he said that Garcia is the best prospect in boxing. But well, I, I don't know if by design they said that or they have been missing fights of uh, Teofimo Lopez and uh, Virgil Ortiz Jr. Because Ryan Garcia is not ready for one of them, let alone a Javante Davis. Yeah. You know, they're going to rush this kid, and if they rush this kid, what's going to happen is because they have him thinking so high of himself, and they think, you know, they have him thinking he's on the level he's not yet, you know, he loses, and he one of those guys are going to give him, a, you know, a crushing defeat, and, you know, that's going to really hurt him mentally. I agree with you. I think they're pushing him a little too fast. It reminds me uh, of Fernando Vargas. Uh, back in the day, they, they took that kid, and they pushed him very quickly. Was successful. Uh, had a huge fan base. I mean, so many similarities, um, you know, with the exception of the style of fighting. And one last question, and I hate saying this guy's name, and it's not his fault, but that's why I always throw the new in front. The new Ray Robinson, I thought, should have won that fight against Kavalaskis. Uh It ends up being a majority draw. What was your thoughts on that fight? Um... I just thought Kabbalakis, he's very one-dimensional. Yep, he's a big power puncher, but very one-dimensional, which is kind of odd considering he's a two-time Olympian. You know, I was sitting there waiting for him, you know, to pump the jab. And on the other hand, Ray Robinson, if he would have just pumped his jab a little bit more, he would have really coasted to that on an easy decision. Uh, neither one of those guys are ready for uh, Terrence Crawford. I do know that Robinson uh, holds a win over Crawford in the amateurs, but you know the idea of either one of them in there with Terrence Crawford is just absurd. And what do you think of that interview with Crawford and Max Kellerman after when Max Kellerman's asking Crawford on his opinion that Mir Khan stated, if I had fought the quality of competition in my career that he has, I'd be undefeated too. And Crawford just so relaxed without blinking an eye, without, you know, being raffled, bothered. And he says, when uh, Kellerman says, do you have it out for him personally? Crawford goes, I have it out for everybody. Nah, listen, you know me, man. I love Terrence Crawford, and I hate when people act like he hasn't fought anyone. Because, Dax, you and I talked about that not only off the air many times, but on air when he was coming up. And he was. people forget that he was brought in when he first became noticeable in the sport of boxing, he was the B-side. He won and upset the apple cart at least three times in a row before they shift gears with him. So I'm sorry. This guy has not had an easy path, and he's one of the best fighters. I love his demeanor. I love his, his no-nonsense. He says the right things. He thinks he doesn't have to, to, to do anything other than perform in the ring. And that's why I think he's such a great champ. And I'll tell you the truth, Dax, it's a shame that he's not a household name because he is the best wel welterweight out there. We're, we're in the era, though, Bill. It's that era where people thrive and they want to see somebody, and not just in boxing, period. They want to see people acting like an idiot. The more that you act like an idiot, 
the worse stuff that comes out of your mouth, the more that they can, you know, the more that you can bring yourself down to a lower level that they can mock you, make fun of you, the more popular you're going to be, you know, and, and that's unfortunate how it is, but you're right, Terrence Crawford is not going to bring himself down to that, Terrence Crawford does his, his talking in the ring, uh, it's up to Bob Arum and those guys, you know, to push him a little bit more. Well, you know, the, 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 the truth of the matter is, is the fight that everybody wants to see. Keith Thurman, in my opinion, isn't elite anymore. He, you know, maybe I was mistaken to even believe he ever was. Um, I really don't think so. Uh, but Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford could arguably be the top two wel welterweights. I think it would be tough to, I mean, don't get me wrong. I wouldn't mind seeing a rematch with Sean Porter and Keith Thurman and uh, Errol Spence against, um, against, uh, uh, Terrence Crawford and have the two winners fight each other, that would be great. But I, I just think that the top two welterweights right now have to be um, Crawford and, and Errol Spence. I, I would think so, especially, um, you know, because Keith Thurman's, you know, he was very open after he got married on how happy he is and how we had lost a little bit of his desire. Um, to say he's not elite, you know, I'm I'm sorry, Bill. That's that's um that's preposterous. Of I, course, he's elite. I don't he, think he's so. undefeated. I, yeah, but he, that, you know, he's still a champion. You know, that, he just doesn't have that desire oh, and the hunger that he used to have. Oh, so being a champion and being undefeated makes you elite? But he just doesn't have the hunger. Yeah, you, you know, when you have, you know, up until not too long ago, you were singing the high praises of Keith Thurman. I'm no, sorry. No, I was singing the high praises of Keith Thurman prior to. All of the excuses. You're right, and that, but that goes back almost four years now, Dax. It's okay. been a it's been a long time, and and you know what? The last performances he has in the ring was far from elite. All you got to do is look at the last one, and people could say, "Oh, it was ring rust and this and that." I, I, I don't know. We're, we're talking about Josito Lopez, you know. He, so. changed, he changed his style, you know. He, and he did that even before that layoff, Bill, if you notice. He changed his style. He became a um, more of a boxer puncher. He, um, even when he was fighting guys of that lower level, he, he did that. I forget who the guy is that um, Thurman and Spence both fought. Uh, the Leonard, guy Leonard, Leonard, Leonard... Um... Bundu, Bundu, yeah. okay. Yeah, I mean, now, you know, let you, you, him out, Thurman boxes him for 12 rounds. Okay, you know? so but wait a minute. Wait, wait a minute. That fight, you're right. That fight changed uh, changed Keith Thurman. But the, the big question was, why? You know, Keith, Leonard Bundu was, he, he was never a hard puncher. This guy was a boxer that, that, you know, Crawford should, I mean, I'm sorry, that Keith Thurman should have taken out. And, he, and it was a knockdown, drag-out fight. That's when I noticed that he wasn't as great as I thought. And I got to see him in the gym. You know, so I... No, no. I, 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 I Well, hey, listen. Maybe if he fights somebody, he can prove it. But uh, but in any event, a guy that... Is, yeah, I would, I would love to see it. Let's see him get in the ring. Let's see him fight somebody. I mean, really, you know? You know. And what about... Um, before we go, what about that reporter and i'm just so aggravated um jenny sushi who's out there now she's suing uh cobra pula because of that kiss post fight last week um you know but meanwhile she wasn't offended then after he kisses her maybe you know 
he should have asked permission, you know. But you know, their friend, he you know gives that little kiss on the lips. He holds her by you know by the face, and they're laughing about it. Uh, a few minutes later, they're sitting on a love seat. They're talking. She follows him out to the parking lot three or four times. She goes out to a bar with Pulev and his team. She's lap dancing members of his team where Pulev is sitting right next to her. I mean, she's literally grinding and lap dancing. Now all of a sudden, she's taking out a lawsuit against Pulev. Pulev is suspended by the athletic commission. She hires Gloria Aldred, who is known for representing these women that scream these false allegations. What is going on here? And you know what? It wasn't an issue until social media made a big deal about that kiss. Well, uh, unfortunately, in America, it's sue your way to the top, so maybe she sees a, a way to get money. But you know what? Let me tell you this. Pulov didn't help his case any by saying to his local papers in Bulgaria that she wanted more. She wanted more. And, and you know, he, he says she wants to be famous. Famous. He's not that famous, number one. And number two, you don't say that. In, in the middle of that, and I'm not, hey, listen, I, I, you know, I think it's ridiculous when, you know, I, personally, I think it's ridiculous that somebody brings out allegations after 20 years. I mean, I, that's that's even worse. Right. But, uh, but it's sad. The whole the whole way is sad. No, maybe he didn't um, help his case. But like I stated, there, you know, there's video and I've seen it myself and I have the, the still shot somebody sent me. She chases him out to the parking lot three or four times. She leaves, she comes back, she leaves, she comes back after the kiss. And then she goes out to the club with them. And then there's photos of her sitting at the table drinking with them. And then there's that short video that somebody caught on their cell phone and they uploaded of her lap dancing and grinding like a stripper. Her breasts are exposed. So, yeah, maybe Pulev didn't help his case, but of course Pulev did tell the truth because those videos are out there and I don't think she realized that somebody was going to uh, expose those videos and but the real big joke on that is that's Pulev's first fight in the United States he's 37 38 years old what he, he just doesn't have to come back to the United States and guess what this is all for nothing so I have to agree yeah she wants to be famous because if that video did not get all those clicks and these uh, secondhand ragtag media outlets did not make such a big deal about it and social media didn't talk about it for so much I don't think there would have been a lawsuit at all there would have been nothing it would have went you know one ear and out the other unless maybe she was acting like that and somebody had contacted her media outlet that she worked for and said we've seen your reporter out there and she was doing this this and this and now all of a sudden she's got to save her job she's not getting nothing you'll see no um okay something that i know you want to talk about uh a fighter we both uh think is uh exceptional in uh alexander Usyk. Um, he relinquished his cruiserweight title, and uh, he's now c- going to be competing in the heavyweight division. Uh, rumor has it it's not f- officially announced, but it, it's pretty close to it. Carlos Tacom will be his first opponent. Uh, but should he get by Carlos Tacom, he gets an immediate shot at the world title. What's your thoughts on that? Well, that is, you have to blame the WBO for that. Also, you know, they came out with the super champion. A lot of people don't realize the WBO has had that super champion. It wasn't until after the World Boxing Super Series uh, did more people understand that WBO had that super champion, which gives you the option of either fighting the champion in the division above or the division below, below if you should choose to do so. So Usyk, of course, is going to follow the money. Uh, you know, I don't blame him for relinquishing that WBA title. The WBA has become a headache for fighters. Uh, Carlos Takam, I believe, is a very good test. Um, he's going to let 
Usyk and his team know how he can take the punch of a heavyweight and how a heavyweight can deal with his punch. And um, so, you know, crazy thing is that, you know, Usyk is what heavyweights used to be, you know, six foot three with the 78 inch reach. And to us nowadays, it sounds tiny. But I was talking to Steve Stoller yesterday, you know, the boxing judge, and uh, he was telling me about his friendship with Evander Holyfield, and he was showing me some pictures of him and Holyfield together. And he was actually bigger than Holyfield. And remember, Evander Holyfield, the former cruiserweight, champion undisputed you know and an olympic uh, go, uh olympic medalist you know he fought lennox lewis he fought riddick bow both big guys with a hard punch uh both over six foot five um evander holyfield uh he had also fought i believe uh nikolai Belouev at one point in time david hay a former cruiserweight champion who's also six foot three he won his title from the seven foot uh nikolai Belouev. he could hit like a freight train he went um the distance even though it was a very you know embarrassing performance against Vladimir Klitschko so it's not it, you know it, it's not you know to sit here and think that maybe he'll be successful when you look at these other guys is you know it, it's not reaching in my opinion especially when you factor in his boxing ability whether it's going to happen I don't know but it's just not you know unimaginable you know you make a good point and Evander Holyfield is is a great uh, example except I I notice a couple of d big differences at least in my opinion um, Evander Holyfield made the move earlier in his career, I believe, um, uh, to to heavyweight. And over time, he did blossom into what I would refer to as a legit heavyweight. I mean, he was no 240-pounder, but he was a solid 220. Um, this guy is 32 years old right now. He's a southpaw, which is good. You know, he's six foot three. Um uh, you know, my, my, my thought is this. He's, he has weighed 200 pounds or more in five of his 16 fights, Dax. They were all in the beginning of, of his career. So the, the heaviest he ever was was, was 206. Uh, so, so it's conceivable that he puts on another 20 pounds and, and puts it on right. So, so you're looking at a 226, 230-pounder, which is, which is pretty big. But I can't help but compare him to an Ortiz. Um, you know, Luis Ortiz is six foot four southpaw. He's, he comes in at 240 pounds. Is he going to be as good as an Ortiz at heavyweight? I mean, the boxing ability is similar. No, the boxing ability is not even similar at all. Usyk and Ortiz, how can you even put them in the same breath when talking about boxing ability? You know, um, Usyk, his boxing ability is levels above. Matter of fact, if you just went on boxing ability, not size and power, on boxing ability, he's levels above any heavyweight there is. There's no the Anthony Joshua, I don't care, Dillian White, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury. And if you know, if you just went on that skill wise, they're not a better boxer than Usyk. You know, they're great boxers, but they're not a better boxer than Usyk. It's their size combined with that that's going to be the issue for Usyk. And can Usyk manage to come up to that 225, 230 pound range and not slow down? Is he still going to be able to, um, you know, pivot as well? Is he still going to be able to throw those combinations? And is going to be able? Is he going to be able to bring a little bit? power with him because he's going to have to bring some power with him to make these bigger guys respect him a little bit at least enough to make them not want to just roll right in there and steamroll him and that's going to be his biggest uh, hurdle in my opinion not saying he's going to take over the division not saying he's going to beat Joshua and he's going to beat Wilder or any of the other guys I'm just saying it's not uh, you know it's not unfeasible in my opinion when I say boxing ability he obviously has the movement over any heavyweight but what I was referring more to and I guess I should have been more uh, uh, precise with what my point was the counterpunching ability of an Ortiz. 
is similar to the counterpunching ability of Usyk. The difference with Usyk is he does have he he does have movement. So the question is going to be exactly what you just asked. If a hev- if he can't hurt a heavyweight and he can outbox them by by movement and and working his jab and and mixing it up occasionally uh, with a with a left, um, do, does his opponents who are generally going to be the the top heavyweights anyway are generally going to have uh, a couple of inch height advantage and probably twenty or more pounds weight advantage and not fat guys, will they be able to just steamroll him, get him against the ropes, get him in the corners, and neutralize his movement and, and you know, overall boxing ability? I mean, that's his biggest battle, don't you think? I believe so. And again, yes, that's, you know, going to be his biggest uh, hurdle. Can he make these guys respect him with his power? Even at Cruiserweight, he's not known as a power puncher. You know, it's the accumulation and his overall boxing ability and how he delivers his punches that kind of freezes his guys there because they don't know how to react. Can he do that at heavyweight? You know, we're... um, We'll find out, obviously. I think Carlos Takam is a good test to gauge whether or not he's going to be able to do that. And if he can't, against Carlos Takam, manage to keep Takam from coming forward or uh, manage to um, at least have Takam go on the back foot a few times, he does have all his other titles. He does have that lineal cruiserweight title. So, he, you know, he, this is a win-win situation for him. I'll tell you, i tell you one uh, styles make fights, Dax. I mean, we, uh, you know, that's the old saying. But I'll tell you one thing. I think Usyk, despite uh, assuming he doesn't have, uh, you know, uh, the same kind of power, etc., I think he outboxes and beats a Deontay Wilder uh, in a boxing match. I, I can't see Deontay Wilder being able to connect with Usyk and his defensive proudness. What's your thoughts? Well, that's... Again, that just brings up what you were stating on that size is these guys are so big and they hit so hard, they only need one punch. That's even with the other opponents that are six foot five and 240, 250 pounds. So a guy that's six foot three and only 215, 220, is he going to be able to really deal with that? So it'll be interesting. Again, you know, it's boxing and you have to credit the guy for taking a step up and for going after it. One last question for you, Dax. Uh, I, I, you know, earlier in the show, I started talking about the uh, the improbable AJ Deontay Wilder uh, matchup. At least I say improbable, meaning this year or or even next. If the fight happens, it's going to happen down the road. I, I still can't get off the risk versus reward, and I think that all the fighters involved, and I'm going to say all three. Wilder and AJ, of course, are the main two that everyone wants to see fight, but you got to sprinkle in Tyson Fury there as well. I mean, these guys, obviously, we all know what they're trying to do, uh, you know, marinate a fight so it, the proportions are so big that the, the money is just, you know, out of this world, um, which, in my opinion, is it's there now, but I guess they're assuming it's going to get even higher. The risk in this division is like no other. And, you know, taking opponents lightly and thinking you're going through the motions could send all that money down the drain. When do you say when? And, and do you think they are making the right move by holding off? I think that they're hoping this whole marination stage of the era, like Mayweather-Pacquiao, for example, will bring it to this epic proportions. 
But again, as I always say, there's a chance that one of them gets upset. Who knows? Miller may upset Joshua, or Brazil may upset Wilder, and all of a sudden, both those guys become contenders. Or, you know, whoever gets upset becomes a contender. Now they're not a champion, and now all of a sudden they have to fight for a title again. Of course, you know, there's people in the chat room that want to say, well, you don't know what you're talking about. You've never seen this. You know what it is. You don't know the business of boxing, and it's the cha- it's the comments like that that tell you exactly what these guys are doing to themselves in terms of this fight. One loss by either one of those guys, all of a sudden, because boxing fans are so unforgiving, you're forgotten, and that's how the sport is, you know. So when something's peak like that, take advantage of it, because you're never going to get this hundred million dollar payday again. Uh, you know they're rolling the dice, man. Because if you're right, if a Miller upsets an Anthony Joshua and uh, you know a Dominic Brazil upsets a Deontay Wilder or just one gets upset they don't step into the hundred million dollar purse that that's the part I think they don't get you know if a Miller upsets AJ he and Deontay aren't making a hundred million it's the combination of Deontay and AJ that'll generate a hundred I don't I think AJ and Tyson Fury generates a hundred million I'm not so sure a rematch with Fury Wilder does. Maybe I'm wrong. What, what's your quick thoughts on that? The the rematch of those two, I don't know why neither one of those guys wants to go after that. I believe that in, if, you know, if this was just me and I was making these matches, I would want the rematch to happen, and then whoever wins that one goes against Joshua, and then whoever wins that fights the loser of the other one. I mean, you have yourself a great round robin there, and even if, you know, you don't match those up, you throw in a Dillian White, you have yourself four guys that are going to be big draws, that are going to put on sensational shows, the fans are going to like, and the money is there for them all, and by waiting and marinating it, again, because the fans are so unforgiving in this sport, they're taking a chance. Even if you look bad, you don't have to lose, you just have to look like really poor, and then all of a sudden the fans don't want to pay attention anymore, or they insist because you had an off night, you were overrated, you were um, you, you know, your hype machine, you know, and so on and so forth. Look what they did to Momachenko because he was knocked down. No, I agree. Dax, great job as usual, and uh, we'll look forward to you next week, brother. All right, everybody, enjoy the weekend. That's, that's, day. that's, <laughs> that's uh, Dax Khan, and uh, you can check out his column up on BillyCBoxing.com. Listen, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, uh, we'll have uh, my man uh, Alex Papali join us, so don't go nowhere. Billy C will be right back. Hey, fight fans. Check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters. Track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man. www.kofantasyboxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.kofantasyboxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent you. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. This, we want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I 
can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C, damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. The undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And speaking of being with us today, joining us right now uh, is my man uh, Alex Propali. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Billy C. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. This talk about, uh, well, let's first and talk about uh, the Wilder, uh, Anthony Joshua. I'm, I'm scared that this fight may not happen. And, and when I say may not happen, I mean may not happen when it should. It, it, it most certainly will happen at some point. But I think that that fight, and make no mistake, I, I think that fight should have already happened. But I, I believe it should happen this year or January at the absolute latest. And I fear that it will not. What's your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, the window's closing on this year. But... Uh... You know, I mean, let's see what happens with um, Wilder's uh, fight with Brazil and um, uh, Joshua's fights with fight with Big Baby Miller. Uh, if I mean, it could be that you know by the middle of June, uh, we're all um, walking around with smiles on our face because the fight's been set. Um, I, I think you're right. I think we're gonna still gonna wait for it a while, but. Um, you know, I mean, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt, I guess. At least uh, let them get rid of the guys in front of them first. Uh, it's heavyweight boxing. That's not a, a foregone conclusion. It's very likely that they'll both win. But, um, you know, anything could happen. I do think that, uh, you know, it's definitely what fight fans want to see. And, I mean, that I think that's the biggest knock. Yesterday I watched boxing all day long. And... Uh, there was like one really competitive fight and it was guys with 10 fights each. Then they were both undefeated and, um, you know, they were put in the ring together. It made for a good fight. Um, that uh, Fowler versus uh, Fitzgerald match on zone I thought was the best fight of the day in terms of competition. So, you know, that's what people want to see. They're young guys fighting each other. Uh the window is um, closing on that, you know. Um, but, yeah, it's what people want to see. Who knows? Uh, you know, this waiting and waiting for money, it uh, it hurts fans. You know, uh, the the fights that people want to see, that, so, so you're talking about, you know, two young fighters, generally two young up-and-coming fighters. Uh, usually we see that from England because they, they've been doing that and that's not a problem for them. That's why I, I believe strongly that the UK carries the sport on their back. But um, with that said, there's no problem with that. The problem lies with the fan base and those pesky casual fans that you that you admire so much. Um, the, you know, the, the truth of the matter is is that you put two young 10 and, 10 and 0 guys against each other, let's say. The loser... 
goes off into oblivion, which shouldn't be the case. You know, that's what happens in this sport. So if you have a hot prospect and you're a management team, whether you're the manager, promoter, whatever, um, you're preventing, you're trying to prevent at all costs for your prospect uh, to go off into oblivion. So you reduce the risk that they have. And at the end of the day, you're reducing the possibility of that fighter getting better. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible trickle-down effect. And, you know, what we end up with is what's happening now. I mean, risk versus reward is probably the most agree upon, uh, agreed upon statement for the sport of boxing. So with that said, you know, how do you turn down $120 million over three fights uh, where you're you're guaranteed nobody saying anything about lo- losing in there and not getting your money if if you close the deal with regardless of the outcomes and you sign a three fight deal for 120 million i can't see making more than that for uh, that a one fight deal like let's say you you do a one fight well how many fights will it take you to get to that one fight deal where you're going to make that kind of money it doesn't make any financial sense and then oh by the way we add the risk of not seeing the fight at all to the mix so i i, I don't understand it quite honestly yeah and i and i think both these guys are you know um jockeying for you know the con- the, to be in the real the power position, um, at least it, it certainly seems that. Um, well, I don't know. I don't want to point fingers at any single at, at one guy over the other, uh, but I do think that um, it would be nice to see it. Um, you know, those three guys: Fury, Wilder, Joshua. That's who we want. If Usyk gets added to the mix, hey, I would be thrilled to see uh, Joshua Usyk or Wilder Usyk or Fury Usyk. Um, that's awesome, the idea that he's going to try to be a heavyweight. Um, I don't blame him at all for taking a guy like Carlos to come. Um, I mean, you know, he's got to, uh, in terms of moving up, you know, there's a few things you want to test at uh, in that division, and one of them is, can I take their power? And to come would be a good guy uh, to do that against, he's been in there with some of the best, and I think that um, you know he still showed. I mean, one of the best, one of my favorite fights of last year was a brawl that Takam had. Ooh, was it was with Derek Chisora, I think. Um, so yeah, I think there's still a lot of exciting things going on in boxing and even in the heavyweight division. But you're right. I mean, we want to see Wilder Joshua. We want to see Wilder Fury too. We want to see Fury Joshua. Um, anything else is, you know, just sort of a holding pattern until we get there. And and, and it does seem like, you know, it's not going to happen until all the deals are right and everybody can get really rich. And that's unfortunate because, you know, the fans suffer. How- no matter what, the fight's going to be a big fight. Uh, and it might be more than one fight. But as you can see, I mean, look at look at Fury, um, Fury versus Wilder. Uh, that seemed like a foregone conclusion that we'd see a rematch, um, and now nothing. So I, I don't know. When you when you look at that landscape of of the heavyweight division, and the top three dogs in, in the order in which I believe they are: AJ, Deontay, and Tyson Fury. That next group of fighters, which consists of Dillian White, 
Still, Alexander Povetkin, Jarrell Miller, Pulov, Luis Ortiz, uh, even some young fighters like uh, Kaznaki and, and Joe Joyce. And, you know, you got former champion Joseph Parker. I mean, these are all real fighters, okay? Now, if the AJs and Wilders and Tyson Furies are picking, um, you know, the guys closer to the, to the bottom of those lists than to the top, well, then what it does is it leaves room for the other top guys to fight each other to earn a spot, which I, I like. But the question becomes, if the, if the powers that be for, for Team Wilder and, and Team Joshua and even Team Fury, for that matter, are trying to position their fighters to make the maximum, they're not going to go after a guy that, let's say, a Dillian White uh, takes on a, a Luis Ortiz or Dillian White takes on a Kaznaki or or uh, Joseph Parker takes on a Kaznaki or, uh, you know, one of those Pavetkin against uh, Pulov. And, you know, you, you see these guys in, in good fights and they rise. And then all of a sudden, you know, it, is a guy like a, a, a Deontay Wilder or Tyson Fury or Anthony Joshua really want to risk that $100 million payday by fighting a real fighter? Um, I, I would think not. So, so to prolong the matchup, the inevitable matchup between each other, they're going to be scraping the bottle, bottom for the heavyweights that are going to look good on paper that aren't going to give them much trouble. And, and the way these guys are being forced to fight each other, it's, kinda, it's kind of uh, making it a lot harder. I think the time to, to sign the paper whether they do it for a couple of fights down the road, I think they need to secure their futures now with a financial agreement in place. It could be a three-fight deal culminating to fighting each other and let them fight two other fighters to make some coin. Uh, win, lose, or draw, they still culminate to fight each other. That's what I would be looking for if I was part of those teams, Alex. Yeah, I mean, that sounds good. I think anything that puts them on a collision course um is what uh you know what fight fans want to see i don't know i mean in terms of uh i i, I kind of think that um i mean for me it's it's uh i, I kind of think fury and joshua are tied for number one position and wilder is number two that's in my mind but yeah i i think we're gonna all argue about these things until we start seeing the matches um i don't know to me uh, I, I got a lot of answers on December 1st. Um, I, I think Fury beat Wilder and beat him pretty convincingly and would beat him every time they met. Uh, I think the other thing that's fascinating about Tyson Fury is this sport's about styles. And Tyson Fury has a style everyone's going to have trouble coping with. Um, and I think that um, that puts him in a great position. I think he realizes that, and obviously Top Rank realizes it too, because they decided... Rather than have a rematch, let's um, keep marinating and um, we'll uh, start having defenses uh, and, you know, keep letting those, those you know, the, the two super fights marinate. And that's unfortunate for fans, but, you know, eventually these guys will collide, I think. Um, but you're right. I, I think we might have to wait till 2020. I think... I agree with you that I think that uh, Tyson Fury beat uh, Deontay Wilder hands down. Uh, but I also think that Deontay Wilder scored a a victory of sorts 
and I think it forever changed Tyson Fury. And that was that final knockdown uh, that Tyson Fury dragged himself up, surprisingly got to his feet, and, con- and not only continued, but finished the round and the fight on his feet. Um, that Those kinds of knockdowns, for all intent and purposes, should have been a knockout. But uh, those kinds of knockdowns, especially from a big man like Tyson Fury, who hit that canvas... Uh, pretty hard in that final knockdown and, and hit it pretty hard in the first one, but it wasn't as devastating. That took something out of him. And um, I don't know if if he's going to be the same fighter. I, I know that sounds drastic, but, but I, I just have a feeling about that. And I'm not so sure that um, a fighter like Anthony Joshua, who's more technically solid, uh, wouldn't have more opportunities to land a solid punch on Tyson Fury uh, versus a, a guy like Deontay Wilder, who's a one-trick pony looking for the bombs. And as you know uh, better than anyone, Alex, I mean, a good boxer loves the wild fighters because they can stay in the pocket and, and pick them apart. And, you know, Deontay Wilder can't pick anybody apart. That's not what he does. But uh, Anthony Joshua... He could, and a Tyson Fury isn't exactly a power puncher. So I don't know. I think Tyson Fury probably had his best performance in a draw against Deontay Wilder. It, it could be, but um, you know, well, let's see how he looks against um, against Schwartz. Um, I think uh, I think that's what sort of now we're waiting for is with this. Uh, the state of the heavyweight division now, at least those top three guys, is they all have to look good um, against their uh, respective opponents. Um, and they got to keep looking good to keep the interest in them fighting each other. Um, so I don't know. In, in a way, it's sort of a catch-22. Uh, if you make the deals with these guys, sure, you risk losing and you make a lot of money, but then maybe that's it. You know, your guy gets beat and nobody wants to see it again, whatever. Um, or you keep fighting guys that um, keep your name in the press and keep you winning, but you risk alienating fans who don't want to watch you fight against guys that they think you're going to um, automatically beat. So, yeah, this is, you know, it is what it is, as they say these days. I think that that's why the Usyk factor... Um, is int- intriguing. I think the other thing about it is that he, you know, he was one of the badass. He is by far one of the biggest badasses in the sport. Uh, I thought of him as fighter of the year. I think a lot of people did last year. And um, so that idea of him moving up is very intriguing. Um, I'd like to see it. I I don't think there's anyone, you know, in in terms of that's more intriguing than him that he's like taking an opportunity away from. I'm, I'm not sure I agree with that, but I do think that, um, uh, you know, it's going to be a long task. It's, it's a, a long task indeed for him to try to, uh, to try to beat these guys. Cause they're monsters. As much as he's a great boxer, um, you still have to deal with the size and the power at heavyweight. And uh, that could be um, insurmountable for him. We'll have to see. And, you know, you made a point before. You said, oh, he's taken Takeem, uh, uh, Carlos Takeem. And, you know, oh, he's a banger. He, you know, he'll feel how it, it, it is to get hit by heavyweight. I look at it another way. 
Carlos Takam is a short heavyweight, so he's actually yeah. going to be taller than him. Something that he may not, you know, uh, be dealing with in any real heavyweight fight that would mean big financial gain and and possibly a world title. I mean, none of the top heavyweights are. I mean, think about the top heavyweights. You know, Anthony Joshua is six six plus. You know, yeah. uh, Deontay Wilder is six seven. Uh, you know, Tyson Fury is is six eight. You know, I I mean, th- this guy is short compared to them. So for him to take on a short heavyweight, I think, is, is stupid. I I think they should have went and found you know the perfect opponent for him is a David Price, a guy like him. You know, uh, somebody that's tall and and big and and has somewhat of a punch. You know, test your skill set against him. You know, I can't help but look at Usyk as being a, a more movable, because I have to make sure I choose the right words, because Dax uh, um, pointed that out. I did not choose the right words. But I think that uh, Luis Ortiz is a bigger version of Usyk uh, with counterpunching ability, not as much movement and straight-on boxing ability in terms of setting his punches up with jabs and, and what have you. But as a southpaw, uh, counterpunching, uh, six foot four, an inch bigger. You know, that guy gives me an example of what a good Usyk could be like. And I'm not, I just, I just think the heavyweights are too big. Dax also used Evander as an example. Um, I don't know if Evander, if he, if he entered the, the landscape of the heavyweight division today in the same manner in which he did it 20 years ago, I'm not so sure he would be as successful because all the top, top dogs in the heavyweight division are six foot four and bigger. They are 230 pounds and bigger. You know, they can move. They do have boxing ability. They're, they're not Nikolai Valuevs who did nothing. You know, I mean, this is a different era from athleticism, Alex. And, and I think that if a guy like Usyk does move up and he is successful, you're talking about all-time greatness. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's why, that's why I'm so curious. Uh, because he seems like the guy with the guts to do it. Um, every fight that he's taken has been a challenge, just about. Um, you know, you don't see him taking opponents um, like you see some other guys now. And, and, and I don't mean to pick on uh, any particular fighter, but, I mean, look at Usyk's record. Every fight was a challenge. Um so I, I don't know. I, I do think that, uh, yeah, that's something if you're a fan of the sport, uh, it's hard not to uh, root for that kind of a guy to at least want to see those kind of matchups. You're right. Uh, Vander Holyfield's rise to heavyweight, um, you know, they were different sort of animals, uh, the heavyweight division back then. These guys are monsters. Uh, they are all gigantic. Um, so it's going to be fascinating to see. You're right. I mean, a David Price at least would have been had, you know, sort of the dimensions. But as we saw yesterday, I'm not sure David Price has the uh, really anything else other than the dimensions to really test a guy like Usyk. I mean, I think that that was one of the things that was really fascinating about that bizarre fight yesterday. And that was more he Ali had bitten him once earlier. If you go back and watch that fight. In the third round, they, cl- they they get into a clinch, and the, the one of the announcers actually made a point 
that Price made, said something to the referee. He was mad. The announcer thought it was a headbutt. But if you look, he bit him in the chest. Um, so it was it was something, I don't know, you saw Cash Ali came to the ring with uh, the black trunks and the black shoes. I thought maybe he was a little, uh, then he's biting him? What is he, conjuring Mike Tyson? He must have um, been, Alex, he must have been starving. I mean, come on. Must have been hungry because, <laughs> dude, I couldn't believe you actually could see the bite marks. That was crazy. Um, it was a weird thing because that was the other thing that was strange about it. He was having his best round. However, he had gotten tagged again. He was hurt. He was yeah, hurt. he got tagged again with another big shot. So it was very similar to the Mike Tyson. Why Mike Tyson bit Evander was to sort of get himself out of trouble, to, you know, try to do something animalistic, to take the other guy out of his game, and maybe you'd somehow, you know, if nobody noticed it, you'd get away with it. I, I don't know. That's the thing that's crazy about it. Because and that's why that I love that uh, that Netflix thing about Michael Bent um, losers uh, that first episode of the show losers. Um, this sport is amazing because the the level of visibility for you know your potential defeat is enormous. So there's a layer of sort of humiliation that goes with losing in boxing, especially getting knocked out. And some guys can't handle that. And you saw Ali didn't want to do do that. He didn't want to get knocked out. He'd rather get DQ'd than knocked out. So it was weird. Um, I don't know. It was you don't see too many bite fights, but uh, there's another one for the history books. Well, remember Mike Tyson was doing it in retaliation because of all the headbutts he was getting. That's what came out later. But either way, you you shouldn't ought to do that. You know, I mean, uh, how hard. First of all, you say to yourself when you saw David Price's, uh, you know, uh, the marks that Bash Ali left on him, you know, each tooth, which had to be bitten through the mouthpiece, right? So you say, oh, my God, how hard did he bite down? Then you flash back to Mike Tyson actually taking a chunk of Evander Holyfield's ear off. And it's just amazing how hard they, they must have bit down. Yeah, <laughs> give somebody a cheeseburger. Give him feed the poor bastard. You know, do something. But uh, one last thing on Usyk, he, he's only weighed uh, two hundred pounds or more five times in his sixteen uh, fight pro career. The the in his pro debut, he weighed the heaviest, I believe, at two hundred six against uh, Felipe Romero. Um, he's got to put on twenty pounds, Alex. I I I'm thinking that. He should be able to put it on okay, but we're talking about how great of a mover he is and a boxer and all these things. Is that going to suffer with 20 extra pounds? Maybe, see, that's just it. I, I'm not sure he does have to put on 20 pounds because you're right. That might slow him down. Um, he might be better off staying light, like a 210 uh, heavyweight, kind of like a Chris Bird. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see, but I, I think... That that's that's what makes it so fascinating is that um, you have not only this element of uh, you know it's it's a it's a Mount Everest to climb in terms of the the titles we're talking about the heavyweight championship of the world but it's also there's these physical elements that he has to beat monstrous people he has to make himself physically larger uh, to a degree. But he has to balance that with still being able to box the way he always has. So, yeah, it's something that, sure, 
I'm fascinated to to watch. Um, but again, we have uh, we have three fights that could be made, um, even if he doesn't move up. No, I, I know. You know so. No, he's moving up. But here's the thing: the size. You know, it, it's so different today. Twenty years later. Think of it this way. You're a historian. Jack Johnson was considered a monster in his day at 205 pounds. Um, you know, Jack Dempsey, Rocky Marciano never hit 200 pounds as heavyweights. You know, even in the Mike Tyson era, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, I don't think he ever weighed 220 pounds. I, maybe 220 was towards the end of his career. You know, these guys just weren't big, big fighters when they were considered big. Even big George Foreman wasn't as big in his early days uh, as as we're seeing these guys now. You know, you're seeing six foot seven, six foot six guys, 240 pounds chiseled, Ron Lyle bodies, you know. I, I mean, yeah, these guys are Adonises, you know. I mean, it's just, it's hard for me to... And we saw a great example of it with Errol Spence against Mikey Garcia. Mikey Garcia is an elite fighter, one of the best, pound for pound, in my opinion. You know, an all-time great, in my opinion. You know, and he just looked less than ordinary against Errol Spence. And the the old saying, a, a good big man beats a good little man, and that's that's true. And it's going to happen with Usyk. If Usyk can box, and he's a Tyson Fury in the ring defensively, and he can box better, and move around and jab the hell out of his opponent. All it's going to take is one shot. And if he does that, and if he does box and he does move, is he going to be able to score enough without getting counterpunched by a guy that's going to be presumably bigger with a long arm? I I, I don't know. It, you know, it's a, it's a tough decision. It's like when people ask me, you know, Jack Dempsey, one of my favorite all-time fighters, would he have stood a chance against uh, a Lennox Lewis or a Klitschko or, or you know, AJ? Probably not. Rocky Marciano, you think he stands a chance with these guys? Probably not. You know, I mean, I don't want to say it, but it's true, you know? Well, and, and I think that's what makes it intriguing is that, I mean, remember, we're it's a different landscape today. If Billy Kahn versus Joe Lewis happened today, Billy Kahn wins um, because we're only going 12 rounds. Um, so, uh, I think that that's one of the things that's interesting about this is that, um, yeah, the idea of Usyk outboxing Anthony Joshua, um, or Deontay Wilder, I think, I think it's possible, but, um, yeah, he's got to keep himself safe from those great big, uh, equalizers and that'll make it fascinating while it happens, um, I don't know. I'd like to see it. That's for sure. Alex, great job. And uh, we'll look forward to you next week, brother. All right, Blissey. Take care. That's Alex Papali, and uh, you can catch him here uh, next time. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Interesting stuff um, about uh, the moves in the heavyweight division and, and uh, of course, uh, uh, what we got uh, in the plans for potential showdowns. With, uh, with the top dogs in the division, uh, being, uh, of course, uh, Anthony Joshua, who I believe is the best uh, heavyweight in the world today, uh, Deontay Wilder uh, being uh, the second, and Tyson Fury, uh, all, uh, you know, top dogs in the heavyweight division. 
makes you uh, wonder, and I still can't help but think about, um, you know, Deontay Wilder turning down uh, all that money, and and it's always about risk versus reward. And, you know, as fighters move on, uh, the risk every day uh, becomes more and more uh, for these fighters. And I'm just, you know, I think we're forever going to wonder if Deontay Wilder did the right thing uh, by turning down all this money. Only time will tell. And, uh, Sal, I know you are adamant about your feelings that uh, Deontay should have taken uh, the money, especially the the last offer of uh, 120 million, risk versus reward. I mean, uh, what do you think? For you, I mean, I would love. We should start a segment. Let me give five minutes to Deontay Wilder one week of, of just. Hey, turn your turn your volume off. You got something going on in the back there. Um. All right. So I'm just saying. Do you think that? it's going to turn out that, you know, he made a blunder or is he going to come out looking smart uh, by turning down uh, all that money? No, no way he's going to look smart with this move. No, this was this is bad advice. I mean, he had a $100 million refight deal and you turn it down? Well, apparently it was up to 120 and he was guaranteed, reported by ESPN, he was guaranteed 120 win, lose, or draw, uh, for a three-fight deal, one fight against the guy he's fighting anyway, Dominic Brazil, for 20 mil, and then right. two fights against Anthony Joshua, guaranteed 40-plus each one, plus cuts of, of pay-per-view, et cetera, et cetera, and he turned it down. Um, I, I think it's a stupid, stupid move. And, and here's the most baffling part. It, it, word has come out that he's had a deal that he's still under contract with Showtime. And Showtime apparently has made it clear that they don't want to lose uh, Deontay Wilder for being part of the network. My question to you, Mr. Sal Senecola, is do you think that Showtime would possibly open up their pocketbooks and offer Deontay Wilder a sweeter package than three fights for $120 million? I don't think they will offer more than that money, but I think they would sweeten it up a little bit to en- enhance their relationship contractually. But, uh, you know, like I said, Deontay Wilder, I'll just give you some advice that Chicky Ferrara shared with me. You've got to be smart. You've got to make the right moves. This is your only one time around. It's not a rehearsal. This is your life, pal. And get in, make the sacrifice, do what you got to do for a couple of years and get the hell out. And if you can't live on $120 million in a few short years, then I'm sorry. You're going to be paying taxes anyway. So, you know, think you're going to get out of that. You're going to get about $60 million, $70 million, maybe $80 million. But the bottom line is this, pal. You only have a few short years. And, and, and guess what? These moves you make now are going to impact your future. And if you could fight for $100 million or $120 million in a few fights, do it. Do it. And, you know, I, I can understand your loyalties and everything else, but you got to be loyal to your family and to yourself, pal. All right? This isn't this isn't just fun and games. This is business. And you got to look at it as a business standpoint. You're a great talent. You've got a lot of things going for you, but you've also 
tripped a few times by putting your foot in your mouth and not making the right decisions. I'm telling you, you should rethink this whole thing and take the three-fight deal for $120 million. You're never going to see that again. And you getting in the ring with Joshua, every fight you guys take that aren't against each other is one more rung in the ladder that is never going to happen. And you're not going to fight him for $120 million for the one fight. So look at this deal all over again. See if you could make an announcement that you are reconsidering and making the deal. And, you know, like I said, you got to have your loyalties. I respect that and appreciate that. But be look in the mirror and be loyal to yourself and your family as well. You know, the the hundred. Let, let's say a hundred million. Okay, I think he's looking to make a hundred million for one fight. So I, I, to me, okay. Let's say uh, you know Floyd Mayweather uh, ruined it uh, by doing the same thing. Him, him, and Manny Pacquiao fighting uh, for that kind of money. And, um, you know, they made us wait, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of the day, they didn't care uh, what they did to the sport. They, they made their money, and that was the end of that. Now, Deontay Wilder could be thinking the same thing, and his advisors could be advising him for the same thing. Hey, look at Floyd. Floyd made $100 million, blah, blah, blah. You know, hold your ground, hold your ground. But I think it's the part from this point where we are right now to that point potentially for $100 million, is where the risk factor lies, Sal. And the truth of the matter is, is by signing that $120 million, you're guaranteeing that you're going to get 120 By waiting for that one fight against Anthony Joshua or a rematch with Tyson Fury where you get your $100 million, the road and path leading to it is where the risk is. And if anything along the way, you know, uh, puts a flat tire in the, in the machine that's rolling... Now, all of a sudden, you're losing tons and tons of money. The most important aspect of this, Sal, is the guys that are advising him, they're not losing anything. They're getting paid either way. I think the risk, yeah, I think the risk versus reward is the issue that's not being looked at here. Well, that's just it. You know, you have the risk reward, you have the time frame. And like I said, you're looking at one of the biggest matches ever in the history of boxing. And it will be legendary. And I think that every time they take an opponent in between, gives that risk. You know, like you said, there's a risk-reward. And why take that risk when you can go direct and have it solidified and contractually bound and reap the benefits from it? I think I think it's all, all good, said and done. But, you know, you can bring the horse to the water. You can't make him drink. Um, speaking of Floyd Mayweather... Uh, apparently he's uh, getting ready to go to trial. He, he, this guy just, uh, this is why rumor has it he's going to be uh, announcing uh, another fight. And well, he's got tax season coming up right now. Well, exactly, exactly. You know, and that's the, that's the, uh, uh, the, the re- repetitiveness. He, he, he fights when he owes tax money. And if he had half a brain, he would save some of the money that he made. But uh, nonetheless, rumor does have it that he's going to be announcing a, a fight uh, over the next uh, week or so, and hopefully it will be against Manny Pacquiao. But um, he, here's the thing. He's battling a former girlfriend, Chantel Jackson, um, and uh, claimed that he that she taped him uh, you know, illegally and all of this stuff, and she's now claiming him. Uh, that he stole over $3 million in her personal 
uh, jewelry and stuff like that. Um, my, my point is this. It doesn't shock me that Floyd is involved in this kind of he said, she said. But what does shock me is this guy just can't seem to stay out of, uh, you know, you could say the limelight, but in this case, it's trouble. Eventually, it's going to catch up with him, Sal. And I, I just, if for a guy like Floyd, who's where he supposedly is right now mentally, why doesn't he just, you know, try to keep his nose clean? I don't get it. Well, again, it's the shenanigans. You, you can, you can wrap a wrap around the package, but the package is going to stay the same. I have to tell you the story about the tortoise. And, I mean, about the frog and the uh... prince. The the frog and the and the and the uh, Cinderella type person, the princess, uh, whatever. Um, yeah, it's one of those. You know, you kiss the frog, it turns into a prince. That one, that story. No, no. no this is more of an analogized dissertation about a frog and a scorpion. You gonna tell us or what? Yeah, I am. There was this frog sitting by this river. And a scorpion comes up and says, "Hey, can I hop on your back and you swim me across the other side? I got I got to get over there." And a frog said, "But you're a scorpion. You might you might sting me and poison me and will will we'll, uh, and kill me." Frog and the scorpion said, "Now why would I do that? Because I'm on your back. You're swimming across. If I do that to you, I'm going to die as well." And a frog thought about it. Said, "Yeah, you got a point there." All right, hop on my back. I'll swim us across. So the scorpion did hop on the back of the frog, and the frog's in the water swimming across the other side. Halfway across, the frog goes, ow. He, he felt a pinch, a sting. And the frog looked up, looked up at him and said, hey, you weren't supposed to do that. You said you wouldn't do it, and now we're both going to die. And, and the, scorpion, the scorpion said, I couldn't help myself. I am what I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's it. That's Popeye. I am what I am, and that's all that I am. You know, it's hard. We say it all the time. We try to reinvent it. We try to rewrap it. Leopard doesn't change its spots. That's another way to put it. That saves a frog and a scorpion. Well, it's a shame that this story uh, actually cost the, the life of a scorpion and a frog. And normally we would say that no frog or scorpion got hurt during the this tale that Sal just told us, but um, in this particular case, they both perished, and uh, I feel awful about that. I might have to Me go. Too, I hope I'm, you don't hear from Peter. I, I hope, I hope we both, both Sal and I, promised that we're going to go seek some professional help after the show so we can deal with coping uh, with the loss. But uh, I have an email here. I would like yeah, to to that. read. Do that. Well, it's not really an email. It was a text from my man Augie from Riverhead. Riverhead uh, is out on the island. Yes, he says. He says uh, basically, he told me that he agreed uh, that with us that Deontay Wilder is basically stupid for not taking the money. He says anything can happen in the ring, and that he feels that Wilder should take the guaranteed money. Now, I've talked to Augie several times, and and you know. He's like you. He, he likes Deontay, and he feels that his power is is uh, is pretty potent. So he feels that he should take the guaranteed money. And he actually said to me, you know, it reminds me of a rumor I had once heard. 
He said, uh, I heard that somebody dropped Rocky Marciano in sparring. And he wanted to know if there was any truth to that. And, um, you know, he was using that as an example of anything can happen, even even a guy like Rocky Marciano. Um, and I want to tell Augie, yes, it is true. Um, Rocky Marciano was preparing uh, for his fight against uh, Harry Matthews in 1952. And he had hired a light heavyweight to come in and spar because Harry Matthews wasn't really a big cat. Uh, but uh, he brought in Jimmy Sorelio, uh, who was a... Uh, uh, a uh, light heavyweight at the time, uh, 28 wins a at the time of when he fought, uh, when he was sparring with Rocky. He was 28 wins, two losses, and two draws. He ended up finishing his career at light heavyweight, 28 wins, five losses, and two draws with only nine knockouts. Now, this is a guy that was not known for his punching power. And, oh, by the way, he was in the light heavyweight division, and he did in indeed drop... Uh, Rocky Marciano in the second round of their sparring uh, uh, session. Uh, Rocky claimed that he slipped uh, during this, uh, this uh, supposed knockdown, but everyone else that witnessed it, including uh, Rocky's team, uh, said it was a legitimate knockdown. Now, whether they said that at the time to try and help sell tickets to the fight or not, I don't know. But the point that Augie was making, Sal, was anything can happen. And um, he agrees with us that Deontay Wilder, so far, and, and, and let's give Deontay credit, so far he's, he's made us look foolish. We told him he should have taken the $12 million. Uh, We told him he should have taken the 15 We told him he should have taken the 25 And now we're telling him to take the 120 So far, every single time, he's, uh, he's anteed up. Uh, but I think it's reached its maximum point. What do you think? I think you just hit it all on the head. That's what I'm trying to say. Deontay, think of this thing. Think where you want to be five years from now, ten years from now, okay? This is guaranteed. This is guaranteed money. You're not going to want to come out of retirement to have to pay Uncle Sam. This is clean. $120 million over time. You're going to owe about $40 million And, you know, pay it. Do it and uh, take your money and run. Yeah, I, I think that, uh, I mean, looking ahead for the future, there's nothing smarter than a three-fight guaranteed deal, win, lose, or draw. And then should you win all three, uh, you're, you're, you're going to make a, another $100 million the next time out. Uh, he's being ill-advised, and it's a shame. But, uh, hey, we got some good fights coming up. Uh, and also I want to remind everyone about uh, our 24-hour, seven-day-a-week channel. you got to check this out. It's, on, it's available through all the uh, streaming, all the major streaming services uh, through Ginico uh, USA. If you go to their website, GinicoUSA.com, that's G-I-N-I-K-O-USA.com, you can see all the other programming that they have, uh, and you can actually sign up uh, for all the information and watch our show. It's free. All you got to do is give them an email address and create a password, and, and you'll have access uh, to 15 years worth uh, of our uh, shows that we've done over the years, uh, not only uh, versions of this show, but also live events. Uh, Sal and I did our Boxing Revisited. Uh, we did many live events. We did pre- and post-fight shows. All of that stuff over the last 15 years is all up there, so uh, definitely tune in anytime, day or night, you know, uh, weekday or weekend, you know, 24-7, but uh, in any event. Hey, listen, boys and girls, 
We promise that we're going to be back here next time. So make sure you tune in next time. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na